Hello everybody, my name's Darren, I write a blog called A Demon's Voice about movies and shit like that. You can find it at ademonsvoice.blogspot.com and I'm also on Twitter at a demon's voice, of which you should definitely follow me because why the fuck not? How you all? I've had a good week, mine's been shit as usual. Um, what are we talking about today? It's Doctor Sleep, ooh, the sequel to The Shining. You know, The Shining's a great movie, set in a hotel, hotels are scary. I was once in a hotel, I've probably told this story before, I'll probably tell it again. But I was in a hotel with a friend, and I went back to the room, and he was in some discomfort, and I said, are you okay? And he said that his bollock had swiveled 180 degrees within the nutsack. And I said, oh dear, and he said, will you have a look at it for me? And I said, I'd rather I didn't. And he said, please. And I said, okay then, because that's how easy it is to convince me to look at your genitals. Apparently, you just asked me twice. And so he went into the bathroom. I didn't know why. He came out completely naked, like fucking Harvey Weinstein. I feel like I was me too in this situation. And uh, he was holding his dick around like a fucking like he was dragging a dead pheasant back from a hunt. I think that was so I wouldn't see it, and I would only see the testicles. And he said, "What? Are, how? How do they look?" The more I think about this, the more I think I was tricked. And I said, "They look normal. They look, you know, <laughs> they look good." And he was uh, like, "I think they're back to normal now." And I said, "Okay." And he said, "Would you Google it for me? See what you know? What the problem? If I'm in trouble." And uh, so bear in mind, we were in Italy at the time. I don't speak Italian. I didn't know where the nearest hospital was. I don't know how much a taxi's going to cost us. It sounded like a lot of faff. And so I uh, I looked it up, as in uh, the problem, and it said that within two hours, if you don't get this thing treated, then you are going to be infertile in that bollock. It's not going to produce anything. If you still haven't got it sorted within 12 hours to 24 hours, then you're going to need that bollock amputating because it's going to fuck you up. And he said, what does Google say? And I thought about the faff of getting him to a hospital and uh, versus whether the world would benefit from him actually being able to reproduce. And then I remembered that there was a time when he thought that a double cheeseburger meant that you got a single burger but with double cheese. And I said to him, eh, you'll be fine. You'll be absolutely fine. So, you know, worse things have happened in a hotel than being chased around by your crazy dad with an axe. Anyway, so yes, let's talk about Dr. Sleep. Uh, sit back and enjoy, I guess. Cheers. Dr. Sleep follows the adult Danny Torrance as he's haunted by the childhood trauma of what happened to him at the Overlook Hotel. Big deal. We all stayed in shitty hotels as a child and we don't all fucking bang on about it. Have you ever been to Pontins in Prestatin? Jesus Christ. If my dad had chased me around that fucking place with an axe, then I'd have probably just run towards him and headbutted the fucking thing. Did Danny's dad have a drink problem? Everyone's dad has a drink problem. My dad once got so drunk that he passed out and smashed his head on the fucking toilet on the way down. That wasn't even from my childhood. That was last fucking Sunday. I knew he'd gone to the toilet, but when I heard the sound of the fall, I didn't know if he'd had a stroke or was struggling with a really mighty turd. Oh, and did a scary lady try to strangle young Danny when he was staying in the hotel too? He survived, didn't he? And she was naked. This took place decades before the internet was in every household and we could just access images of tits whenever we wanted. Sure, she was an old, haggard lady, but what was the alternative? A copy of Reader's Wives. I found a copy of that in the bushes once and I honestly think I'd have preferred to have been choked out by the fucking granny. So obviously this is a sequel to The Shining, with Hugh McGregor now playing Danny, the young boy from that first film. Or at least I think that's who he was playing. For the opening act, Danny is a substance-abusing fuck-up with a beard and psychic powers. It was as though Renton had finally convinced Obi-Wan to join the fucking dark side. When we're first introduced to him, he's also naked in bed with a woman that he barely remembers. I think that scene was just written in to fulfil Ewan McGregor's contractual insistence of appearing naked in all of his movies. Having seen his bollocks and almost everything else, I honestly assume that George Lucas had to spend a chunk of his budget on CJ McGregor's dick out of Star Wars. 
Danny eventually gets himself cleaned up and we find out that he spent his entire adult life trying to bury his psychic superpower that he calls his shine. This is until a young girl called Abra reveals that she too has that same power and he's talking to helping her by an old dead shining mentor. Essentially, there are so many people banging on about their fucking ability to shine here that you half expect Simon Cowell to turn up to convince you to fucking vote for them. Meanwhile, there's a gang of evildoers led by Rebecca Ferguson's Rose the Hat, who are out to kill these gifted people to inhale their essence or something. A sort of gas comes out of the victim's mouth, and they all seem to breathe it in anyway. It sort of looks like the cannibal equivalent of vaping, I suppose. They also do it because they want to live forever, and this process somehow allows them to do that. But, who the fuck wants to live forever? Clearly somebody that's never been to Pontins in Prestatin. Ferguson's character is also called Rose the Hat, because she obviously wears a sort of top hat thing, although it's never really explained why. From the look of the hat and her general gypsy vibe, don't think you can say gypsy vibe, can you? I'd assume that it might be because when she's not killing psychics, she does an acoustic set in some trendy wine bar type place. Although, I have no evidence to support that. I'd also be annoyed if I was her and that was the case, and I'd spend thousands of fucking hours learning to play the guitar, and yet it was my ability to put on a fucking hat that I became known for. Still... If you wear a top hat type thing so often that you get a nickname out of it, then I suppose you just have to be quietly grateful that it's Rose the Hat, and not Rose the Pretentious Twat. Anyway, Rose and her gang discover Danny and Abra and decide to hunt them down for their energising inside gas, because they're worried that the world is less steamy now. Although, since I've been able to access Pornhub on my phone, I'd argue the world's actually gotten quite a lot more steamy if we're being honest. I suppose the film is really all about Danny's need to understand his father, whilst being aware of how close his alcoholism might be turning him into him. In my own case, I suppose the best way to avoid making the same mistakes as my dad would be to avoid drinking too. Or, at the very least, wear a fucking crash hat whenever I go for a fucking piss. Danny is fighting multiple battles on multiple levels though, with his own inner demons causing him as much trouble as the real world monster things coming after him. I guess he beats me on that one, because I'm not really fighting any literal demons. Although, as a bachelor with a mainly cheese-based diet, there are certainly days when my own form of energising inside gas would get me into trouble too. That's a fart joke. When Rose the Hat comes after both Danny and Abra, the film begins to feel more like a cross between Near Dark and Scanners than a sequel to The Shining, and I fucking loved it. You could even ignore The Shining connection and simply advertise this as a trampy vampire things versus reluctant psychics, and I'd still be fucking here for it if I'm honest. It's pretty common knowledge that author of the original book of The Shining, Stephen King, was not a fan of Kubrick's 1980 adaptation. His main issue was that it should have been about a good man turning slowly mad, whereas it's pretty obvious in the film that Jack Nicholson is a fucking nutter to begin with. The subtle clue that this might be the case is that he's Jack fucking Nicholson. I was literally just reading about Nicholson, and apparently he used to do so much cocaine that he'd separate it into the upstairs coke for his special guests, and the downstairs coke for the general riffraff that he'd have around partying. Jack Nicholson is so mad that he treats cocaine like I do Quality Street's chocolate. Because, you know, you obviously... You take your favourite chocolates out, don't you? Hide them upstairs, and if anyone... If you particularly like somebody, then you'll take them upstairs and, you know, you can they can suck on your big purple one. The one with the nuts, I mean, the chocolate, the big purple, ch the one in the wrapper. Anyway, so, not that this adaptation bullshit is a problem for most of us, of course. I mean, who the fuck reads books these days to care anyway? My internet adult brain can't even get through a fucking takeaway menu for more than a few seconds before it gets so bored that I panic and just start randomly shouting out fucking order numbers. For us, that first film is about a family being locked up with a crazy man as he then spends the next two hours getting progressively crazier, which still seems pretty fucking scary to me. The brilliance of this film, Dr. Sleep, we're told, is that it has managed to please both sides of this debate by getting the thumbs up from both the King and the Kubrick estate. So, you know, if you're Stephen King or the Stanley Kubrick estate, what do you fucking do for you, I guess? The reason that I loved this film, however, was because it was simply fun to see what one of my favourite horror directors could do with a big budget. 
If you've not heard his name before, then director Mike Flanagan is the guy that adapted The Haunt and Cavill House into that really cool series on Netflix. Like Doctor Sleep, that show and many of his other films have also involved the horror having a direct connection to the main character's past. There's usually a familial element to his films and shows too, which is obviously the case with Doctor Sleep. But you kind of get the feeling that as Rose the Hat has created her family out of the misfits that she's found along the way, that so too was Flanagan. The same actors continually pop up in his work, with Doctor Sleep being no exception. There's one scene here involving the young Jacob Tremblay, who was in Flanagan's previous Before I Wake, which was so fucking horrible and is arguably tougher to watch than anything that's even in that first film, as in The Shining. If you thought that the butler from The Shining that was sucked off by the man in the dog suit was scary, then this film is going to shit you right the fuck up. They can put that quote on the poster too if they like, I'm, I'm pretty sure that's the kind of thing you, you find on a poster. I'm assuming the Flanagan probably uses the same crew as well as cast too, but I don't have the patience for a fucking restaurant menu these days, so I'm certainly not going to pay attention to the credits of a film. Maybe the best boy is the same each time, but who even knows what the fuck a best boy is? I know that it's an official job, but honestly, it sounds like an award that a dog might win at fucking Crufts. Maybe for sucking off a butler, who knows? Flanagan's films also tend to revolve around a certain building, though, too. In his hush, we see a deaf woman under siege begin to realise that she can use her disability catering house to her advantage, and the entirety of his Gerald's game is about a character trying to escape the house that she's tied up in. I think there might be some kind of building involved in the haunting of Hill House, too, but I wouldn't want to patronise you by pointing it out. You cunt. I know that pointing out that a director's films often feature buildings might not be the most astute of observations, but also, you can go fuck yourself. In Doctor Sleep, Flanagan gets to play with one of the most iconic buildings in all of horror history, with the Overlook Hotel, and if I'm honest, this is probably the weakest part of the movie. I won't reveal too much, but Danny is forced to return there by the third act, and it's here that things become a bit fanservice-y. At one point, Danny literally just walks about the place as though showing it off to us like a particularly bleak episode of Holmes Under the Hammer. Certain characters have also had to be recast from the first movie too, which although unavoidable does give the final half hour a sort of cosplay vibe. Rather than being a criticism of how the film concludes, however, I think this is more a sign of how strong those first two hours have already been. Danny might not have loved being forced to relive his worst nightmares, but I certainly enjoyed watching it more than I did a fucking trip to Pontins in Prestatin. Thanks for listening, motherfuckers, and see you next time.